I'm Laura Lee Benstock, host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. This is part three of my three-part podcast series in my MDMA experience. Last week, you heard from Deborah Servetnik, a transformational coach who specializes in psychedelic integration. Now I am back with Heather Smith, my trauma and internal family systems therapist. Heather, thank you so much for joining me again for this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So happy to be here again. Thanks. Well, I wanted to start off by talking about, you know, transformational growth or post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. I'm sure in working with clients, this is kind of you, you see this with or without the psychedelic component. Can, right. can you explain? Post-traumatic growth is, is the growth that we begin to see when people, particularly in IFS therapy, begin to work with their parts in a way that they're having more clarity and understanding of their trauma. And they're finding a way in which they can work with it that, you know, the way I describe it is they begin to feel shifts. So people are looking for the big change and like, am I ever going to feel better again and stuff like that. And I always tell my clients, you're going to notice it in little incremental shifts. And so this post-traumatic growth is, you know, what I, it's so cool to watch clients. And again, this is with or without psychedelics. I begin to see where they are beginning to identify their own parts themselves, which essentially is like, you know, they'll find themselves in a bad mood all of a sudden one day. Mm -hmm. And instead of just staying in that bad mood, they can actually begin looking at that and having this conscious awareness of like, what part of me just got evoked and why am I feeling this way? And they can be curious towards it. And it's, it's almost like people are beginning to do their own therapy without me, (laughs) which is super cool. And then they come, they come back to therapy and they're like, Hey, this week I was noticing this part of me that blah, blah, blah. Uh, And they can speak for it and they can begin to have their own agency in working with themselves. And for me, that's post-traumatic growth. It's like, they are now becoming their own agent of awareness and ability to stabilize themselves and be clear on what's going on. Um, and so I think that's one level of post-traumatic growth. I think another level of post-traumatic growth is as some of these deeper core wounds are beginning to heal, um, in place of the wounding is actually this new, like, it's almost like what we do in IFS therapy is we almost trade out the wound for a new quality or way of feeling that you would rather be. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if you are able to get to the place in therapy where we're unloading all of the ways that you feel worthless and in its place, you pull in feelings of confidence, right? Now this person starts to walk through the world with just this confidence exuding from them instead of the worthlessness that they used to carry. Mm-hmm. And so that changes the way a person holds themselves, walks down the street, interacts with other people, Um it's really fun to watch. <laughs> so that's that's post-traumatic growth um, from my lens. That actually happened to me. And, you know, mm-hmm. and we talked about it not too long ago. Um, I mean, I think this was just weeks ago um, where I was having I was having a breakdown. You know, I started feeling these triggers and feeling angry at everything. And all of a sudden, I, I and then I started feeling suicidal, and mm-hmm. it was like I I don't you know I'm I'm not going to go there, but I need to figure out how what's going to stop me from from mm-hmm. wanting to harm myself. So I, I you know I remember just you know reaching out to several people, um, 
And then, you know, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't a good time for everyone. So I, I actually mm -hmm. called the um, National Suicide um, Hotline mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they were great and they were able to calm me down. And then I took a bath and I remember just being in the bathtub and thinking, oh my gosh, I remember feeling this way before. Yeah. And it was the trigger of not being heard. I mean, you know, my husband at this time was extremely busy, wasn't mm -hmm. really, couldn't hear me. And, you know, my children, you know, they're, they're three and six. It's like, they're never listening to <laughs> they me. They don't listen. <laughs> they don't listen. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it was, everything was just being com compounded and I, mm -hmm. I couldn't handle it anymore. And I felt like I was screaming. And then I just, you know, when I was in the bathtub, I was like, I specifically remember when I was younger and I was not being heard, mm -hmm. everyone, everyone was ignoring me. And now, you know, I asked my mom, I said, I need help. I need to go to therapy. I need to talk to, I don't even remember how I asked her, but I remember saying something needs to happen. I need to talk to some sort of professional. Mm -hmm. And she was just, no, she was, she she talked about how people will know, and this is not mm -hmm. what people should know about. And, you know, she, her, her typical motto is just don't think about it. Yeah. And obviously I'm going to think about it if I'm feeling this awful. Sure. And then, you know, obviously I wasn't being heard and I felt like my only way to escape was suicide. And so then mm -hmm. that led to my first suicide attempt. And so I was able to find that pattern. Yeah. And I remember just sitting up and I was just like, oh, I, I really need to call Heather. Um, <laughs> but it was, it. I just don't think I would have got, gotten to that place mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the MDMA. Yeah. Yeah. You're able to make those connections of where did I originally feel this? It sounds like. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, you know, and I, and I know we do a lot of that in, in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I yeah, think that so, was the first, yeah, that was the first time I f did it by, on my own. <laughs> right, right. And so when that, I'm just curious, like when you had that aha moment of connecting the dots of like, I felt this way before and then seeing where that originated, I'm curious if that kind of like lifted it for you a bit, like, were you still feeling suicidal at that point? Or was it kind of this understanding of why you were feeling that way? And it kind of helped you to kind of separate from it. I think a little bit of both. I was able to kind of separate from it. And then I just... I, I mean, I don't know if it was just I was pumped that I was able to figure it out, but it made me realize like I didn't need to, like this didn't need to be my escape. Like I can kind of change the narrative now. Right. Right. Like I That's need great. to tell my husband like, OK, now I understand you're busy, but I need to be heard. And this is why I it was mm -hmm. it gave him an explanation. And, and for him, it was like aha, like, wow, I didn't. Right. So this is what, you know, it's not like you're attacking me, you know, <laughs> even though, it, you know, I know he was busy. It wasn't like, like, oh my gosh, I'm so much more important than your work or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, I knew he was busy and I could have easily have, you know, but it was just that it was just triggering those feelings that it was, you know, that right. I had with, in my past with my mother. Um, and so that made me step back and not blame him so much for for like all of the anger that I was holding and right. for him that was extremely helpful yeah um for him to understand like where is this coming from because you know there were so many times where he's just like I don't understand where you're getting this information <laughs> from I don't understand why you're so angry that didn't right. really happen that way right um because right. I, I guess I'm just playing this story in my head uh-huh uh, of my past. Right. 
Right. We're, mm-hmm. That's actually kind of what we're all constantly doing. <laughs> right. Playing <And> scripts. I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like a yeah. lot of people don't know that though. Right. That's right. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think we're very unconscious to these things that we keep playing through our minds. You know, they talk about self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that that concept actually goes a little bit deeper than we realize that when we have these expectations of things going a certain way, it's almost like we keep unintentionally and subtly looking for it. Um, Or if something gets triggered that reminds us anything of being feeling a certain way, like we did ever before, it's like, oh, there it is again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, your children not listening to you is completely different than your parents not listening to you as a child, but it strikes you the same exact way. Right. Right. It hits that young part of you that wasn't listened to. It doesn't matter if it's your kids or your parents to your part, it feels the same. And so you get triggered feeling like nobody's listening to me that I can't tolerate this. Yeah. I mean, there have been a few times where I've been really upset where it's my husband, my kids, and I'm like, why is no one listening to me? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's that, it's that feeling of that trigger. Um, Right. Right. And I feel like the growth there is not, not feeling that whenever I get to that point, mm-hmm. I don't automatically go to the, like, I need to escape. It's like, I, I'm, right. I can understand this better yep. now. Yep. I think that's a beautiful example of post-traumatic, post-traumatic growth that like, these were my old ways of coping and my go-tos. Right. And mm-hmm. now, like you mentioned, like you were able to get that moment of realization And, you know, what you described was really beautiful is like the new way that you were able to approach your husband about it and actually help him understand where it was coming from. And he was like, whoa, okay, cool. Like (laughs) now I can work with you on this, right? Like I can get that, right? Right. Um, You know, you worked with me before session, before mm -hmm. I did the MDMA and post. Mm -hmm. Did you recognize a difference personally in working with me? Yeah, I actually love that question because I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did notice a difference. My experience with you and, you know, I got to say with other people, and it's a really nice result, is that I see that people who have done medicine work, MDMA particularly, medicine use, when they're doing therapy with me, it does feel like they have a lot more access to working with parts to the fluidity and flow of the therapy seems a lot like it just goes a lot more easily. And it, it, it almost feels like clients are coming to their own realizations a lot more quickly than if they weren't doing the medicine work. Right. So there, to me, there does feel like a notable difference between people who are using these medicines and people who aren't. So, and, you know, I've had the privilege, I've really networked with a lot of people to be able to make this my, my client niche. So I do see a lot of clients who are doing these medicines. So I've had a pretty substantial experience of getting to see and witness the results of people who are doing these things. Um, and so it's been really cool to see like a, a little bit beyond anecdotal experience of like, what is this like for people who are using these substances? It definitely you know, my experience of it has been that it definitely makes a big difference in people's ability to do the therapy. Yeah. And I feel like it, it's, it's also effective in therapy because I, you know, I, I do recall in, you know, prior to MDMA, you know, having a hard time tapping into 
where, you know, where is this wound coming from? Mm -hmm. What part is this? Um, You know, and that takes time, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of quiet time where you're just trying to access all of these different parts. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when, you know, now I'm able to come to session and just instantly have a br- some sort of breakthrough mm-hmm. where it was like, oh, this is the part. And it's yeah. the MDMA really has helped me get into my body and feeling what mm-hmm. it is instead of being in my head and thinking about so many other things. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that might be confusing to listeners be like, what are they talking about? Thinking versus like getting into the parts, right? Like what? But essentially what that is, right, is like we have thinking parts that are always trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And and I tell people, I'm like, you're a really intelligent person. Like all my clients are super intelligent people, right? And if you could have figured this out already, you would have because mm-hmm. you're smart enough. Like if you if you could have figured it out, you would have. But the thing is, this the therapy in working with our mental health is not about figuring it out. It's like you just described. It's actually going into the body. It's listening to all these other parts of who we are to get the full story. So I don't know if that'll make any more sense to the listeners, but um, it's it's a really different way of working with yourself. Um, yeah, that has to kind of be experienced to get it. <laughs> right, so. and you know, I, and I know psychedelics and you know, especially MDMA has been considered you know helpful for. I guess, tra- treatment resisting, you know, mm-hmm. I guess, treatment resisted trauma. Yep. Treatment resisted PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I think about like some of my friends who are dealing with PTSD and who don't believe in body work, you know, I think that, it, you know, when I think about them, that they, they've experienced something that was so horrendous, mm-hmm. so difficult where they 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 don't want to feel that right That's they're right. trying to escape those feelings and as much as you know they want to heal i think for them going back to these wounds mm-hmm. is way more difficult it's terrifying right downright terrifying right so that's absolutely right i mean I think for most people who've had any sort of trauma their protective parts of them say, never again, do I want to feel any of that? Right. In fact, you know, they might even be hesitant to do any sort of therapy at all. Right. They don't want to go close to that pain. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of the worst case scenario is, you know, I never want to feel that affliction that occurred. Um, and so building a lot of safety around doing the therapy is, is paramount, right? People have to feel safe that if they're going to go into this difficult material that they have to be able to do it in a way that it's not going to overwhelm them or take them over. I mean, I've literally had clients tell me they feel like they're going to die if they go back and look at some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's how bad it feels for some people. So a lot of respect and gentleness needs to be taken towards that of really understanding the depths of which, you know, people's trauma is, is really difficult to look at. I would assume that there's, there needs to be some sort of titration for someone who's dealt with like extreme trauma. For sure. How how would you do that though? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good question. You know, I think that you, like you said, titration, you kind of start with baby steps. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And those baby steps include beginning to get safety first and foremost, probably with a therapist that that's going to have to be built. And then once some, some basic rapport and trust is built with a therapist, then, you know, I, as a IFS therapist, I begin to help that person begin to come into relationship with their actual parts of themselves and begin to build trust that, um, that this person's psychological system can trust that if we go into their trauma, that we can do it in a safe way where it won't overtake this person, mm-hmm. right? That, that we can do it in this titrated way and just like incremental little 5% increments at a time, you know, whatever it needs to be for that person, mm-hmm. that we can just do little tiny pieces that's safe enough that it won't make this person feel like they need to go, you know, do something extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it just takes time. It takes, um, building a sense that I'm an adult now. I'm not a little kid who's still going to get hurt the way I did back then, that I have new abilities and ways of, of working with difficult things that I didn't have back then. So it's kind of this sense of helping a person to establish a sense of trust within themselves that they actually can handle going there. Wow. I feel like that, that can be really hard. I feel, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) it takes some time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I talk to some people, you know, people who have gotten shot as children, Mm. like I can imagine, like, you know, when you think of when, you know, when I think of Mr. Levine, who did, who, who does somatic experiencing how your body goes into Mm -hmm. fight, flight, or freeze, you know, so you can handle the pain that's actually um, happening. Um, I'm, you know, I, and I'm, and I know I'm, I think I'm going back to like somatic experiences. It's just you, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're kind of tapping into that wound. And I don't even know if there's someone who would want to go back to that wound. Mm-hmm. Is there, right. is that, po- is it possible to heal if you really don't want to go there? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, probably not. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, and that's hard for people to hear is like, they don't want to go back to those wounds. But the reality is, and and this is where you do it in a safe way, is we help clients to, um, I say we, IFS therapists, we help clients to go back to the wound from what we call an unblended state, where rather than that wound being everything they're feeling where it overtakes their system and that's all they feel, we actually get it. And this might again sound weird, but like we get that part of themselves that experience that wound to kind of like like separate from them. We call it unblending Mm -hmm. where you have enough space and distance between you and your trauma that you can look at it and get perspective of it. You can witness it and totally understand it without it emotionally overwhelming you. And when you can have a little bit of space and distance to your trauma so that you can actually like look at it from like an observer point of view and hold what we call self-energy towards it, where we have compassion and openness and curiosity towards being with what happened. It does allow you to be with a wound in a way that's um, capable of being held and healed and unburdened. We, we use the word unburdening. Um, so it is kind of an important factor of the recipe of healing is to actually witness what happened because mm-hmm. without knowing it, you can't really heal it is, is the theory. And so, you know, we talk about MDMA assisted therapy and how the MDMA actually gives you like this openness and allows Mm -hmm. you to 
treat, you know, your experiences with some compassion is that is MDMA something that could be helpful for someone who experiences something as intense as, you know, getting shot as a child or, Mm -hmm. you know, is, or is, or could it be really difficult? Like, could it, could it actually harm them? Oh, that's a great question. You know, when done in the right context, right, with the right set, the right setting, and in therapy, my sense of it harming them would be very unlikely, very, very unlikely. Mm -hmm. It could be difficult in the sense that, you know, sometimes people, when they go back and see extreme trauma or really witness what really truly happened to them, it can be very difficult to acknowledge that maybe that was true. Like there, there's a huge, um, experience, like a a lot of people kind of recover what we would call repressed memories or just things that their psyche does, doesn't want to recall. Right. So our psyche has this ability to not remember. And sometimes with MDMA or other psychedelics, it will show you things that happened that your system has not wanted you to remember because it was too painful. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's actually a phenomenally adaptive capability that we have unfortunately it also keeps us stuck in our trauma. So, yeah. so I don't know that, you know, my sense is it's not harmful for people to reconnect with this trauma, but they do need safe containers for processing it. Right. So if they weren't in therapy or if they didn't have a way to be with being shot out as a child, um, that could leave them in a bit of a bind. Right. And so that's why it is recommended that if people are going to do MDMA in a therapeutic way, that they actually have therapy set up already to be able to process and go through whatever's shown to them. Cause things might come up that people aren't aware is going to come up. Right. And so you definitely want to be in therapy so that you can land with a safe person. You already have rapport with, you already trust, you know, that they have a way of working with it. that can actually help you process it all. Um, Cause some of the material, it, it is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and we talked about this in, in the first part of my series about, you know, I kind of went into therapy or went into the MDMA session thinking, okay, I'm completely healed with the sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. I want to think about other things. Mm-hmm. And the thing, and the things that came up with my father and the abuse, mm-hmm. I, I never thought of it. It was like the MDMA gave me like this whole story that I didn't know about in yeah. order for me to heal and release that anger that my body just didn't need. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, and that's something that they talk about. Um, they, whoever they is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? People who talk about the mechanism of action and what MDMA is doing. Um, there's a sense that it will take you to whatever you most need to heal kind of like the layers of the onion, it will take you to the next layer of the onion that needs to be unpeeled. And it sounds like that's what your experience was, is, you know, in your rational thinking head, you thought, I'm all set with that. Good to go. Don't want to go there anymore. Done enough processing on that. But then the MDMA came in and said, actually, there's a little bit more here that we want to show you. (laughs) Right. That's exactly what I, that's exactly what happened. And that was exactly my experience. And I couldn't, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know? Yeah. And I bet it felt productive. Like that was probably an important piece that you weren't aware that you needed to do, but once you did it it was highly valuable. It was, it was valuable because I, you know, I, I, 
I had this anger towards him. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I know that there was the anger that was there. I kind of buried it deep because I didn't want to. Sure. I didn't want to keep coming up. Um, Yeah. But it it needed to it needed to be released from my body. And when I told you about it, you talked about profound healing. It was really interesting to hear you talk about it. Can can you kind of talk a little bit about profound healing? You know, I'm all about the deep dive. I go, you know, when I want to help somebody heal, it's like really going in and doing the thorough cleansing of the wound and getting all of the bad stuff out and truly making sure that this thing heals up and, you know, we can do our best possible it, making sure everything's attended to and addressed so that a person's really healing. Um, and I think that just going through all these different layers and being open to layers that we're not aware of, I think that leads to this sense of profound healing. And when we're able to be really open and curious, we can often find out that there's things there that we weren't aware of. But when we allow ourselves to go in and get you know, familiar with all of it, it can be so thorough. So I think that's what I think of profound healing is just really attending to all the nitty gritty details and aspects of what we need to witness and know about in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that just creates this really profound, thorough sense of completion with a topic or issue. And I do, I felt like that was the last little bit, you know, the, the abuse was the last little bit that I needed to let go of. In, in, you know, when it came to that, I'm obviously still working on feelings of worth, worthlessness and, mm-hmm. you know, judgment and all of that. You and I continue to work on that mm-hmm. through IFS. We've also talked about how, you know, even in, in MAP studies, you know, people continue doing the, the medicine work. Mm-hmm. Up to how, like, and, and I know you said that you're, you're still downloading information, like. Right. For, for how long can this happen for? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people feel like from what I've been, from what I've read and been told and witnessed from others and stuff like this, it's, it seems like people have this window of kind of heightened sentences or connective, you know, making connections or seeing the cycles, patterns, all that kind of thing. It seems like that's really, really heightened maybe for the first first couple of weeks for sure after using MDMA, but sometimes the next couple of months after using MDMA. Um, and so it feels like there's this really beautiful window of openness afterwards that just allows this continual processing to be very productive and like heightened. Um, but even in the MAPS research, um, they were doing follow-up to see how people's improvements were, I believe um, like several weeks after, but then like six months after and a year after. And people's improvement 12 months later was actually more elevated than immediately after the MDMA session. So basically what that follow-up research showed was that the improvements from using MDMA 12 months later, it it just continues to grow over time. Mm -hmm. So that's the really magical thing about using these medicines is that it's not just you just use it and then it kind of tapers off and wears off and you're just feeling like you've always felt. It's like it continues to improve, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. And and so that gets to me to should, if they're still unresolved or wounds you're still working with, mm-hmm. 
would an, an, another MDMA session be beneficial? It could be, you know, I think there's a, you gotta be careful to not make that your kind of default, right? Mm-hmm. Like every time you discover a new wound or a new part or a new something that you just go do you, you know, MDMA, I don't think that's a good protocol. Um, but, you know, I think for some people, they decide this is their trajectory trajectory of what they want to use for their healing path. For example, I had one <laughs> client come to me once and this person told me, they're like, I found out about the MAPS protocol. I read the entire um, protocol design and what they're doing. And that's how I learned about IFS. And then I learned about you. And so I wanted to see if you'll do whatever MAPS would do with me from the therapy standpoint of use, using IFS and help me to use um, IFS to integrate my MDMA sessions. And they were seeing somebody else to do that MDMA work. And I said, this is the most ideal client ever. (laughs) (laughs) Like you really are all excited about this. Um, it was, it was great. You know, like that person ended up coming to see me multiple times a week for hours at a time. And we did really intense work and, you know, for six or eight weeks. And then that person was good to go and we terminated and, but it was, it was just like, it was like, I can't believe I have a person that just read the whole protocol for this research, you know, um, they, they set out with the intention of, you know, I want to use MDMA in conjunction with my healing path. And so they knew that they were going to be doing multiple sessions of MDMA. And so there was an intention of this is the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think when there's an intention of this is the plan, I think that that's fine to go back in and use more of the substance, if that's what you're already intending and planning to to do. And I just want to, again, give a disclaimer here that I'm not promoting or suggesting that clients do that. This is very much something that clients are choosing of their own volition, their own adult decision-making capabilities to do this. And so they're choosing these sessions for themselves. Um, Obviously, I can't recommend or suggest people do it because it's not legal and I can't be like, Hey, I think you should do this. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So that's an interesting kind of gray area that, um, I have to tread through with clients, but, but the clients that I work with, this is, you know, they're familiar with it. They are familiar with protocols. They're familiar with how it all works. And so if that's kind of in their own personal treatment plan of how they're trying to work with themselves, um, it can be productive when you find new information to go back in and, and do another medicine session. Um, but it's also really important to do it judiciously um, and not too frequent because you can definitely overdo it and you don't want to overdo your system. There's mm-hmm. some people who, in my opinion, are using too frequently and it just becomes an overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, you get such massive amounts of information from these types of sessions that if you're doing it really regularly, it, it just becomes too much. It's like inundating. Um, so there's an importance to be careful about, um, how much you're using. And, you know, you were talking about this client who kind of read the protocol and I'm assuming the protocol, I didn't read it, but, um, (laughs) through maps is that, you know, you, you, you have a certain number of sessions and then you're, you're, you're kind of, and then therapy integrative sessions, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And then it's terminated or you're, you're, you're done. Yeah. Is there a point where. I mean, I see you every week and I, it's, it's necessary mm-hmm. for me because I'm sure. still like in, in my healing. Yeah. Um, but does there become a time where it's like, oh, I'm healed. I don't yeah. need to see you every week. Right. Is that yeah. like, is, does that actually happen? Oh, did you like my laugh there? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, to some degree, um, you know, I'm in my own personal IFS therapy as well as a mm-hmm. therapist. Right. So like my belief is that, you know, therapists need to do their own healing, right. We can only go as far as we've healed ourselves with our clients. Right. So the more that I'm healing myself, the more that I'm processing, my hope is the better therapist I'll be. Um, and so, you know, I've had the same question, like, is this ever going to end? <laughs> Am I ever going to feel better? And like, I don't need to come to therapy anymore. Um, and so, and, and certainly, you know, I don't think that people need to be in therapy forever. I don't think it's a lifelong, ongoing, constant forever. Um, I do think for a lot of people, it does become a pretty long-term thing, especially if they're dealing with some deeper trauma, like some really significant childhood sexual abuse or, really violent things, you know, certainly a lot of psychologically emotional abusive type stuff can be very insidious, insidious. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people do end up being in therapy for maybe multiple years. Um, certainly I believe that medicine work can speed that up somewhat, but like we said in our last episode, um, it's still really hard work. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think that there's ever a place where you feel like you're ultimately healed and you're just like, you've done all your work and it's over with. But I do think that people get to a space where they've done a lot and they're feeling significantly better. They're way more tuned in in themselves and they may not need to go to therapy anymore because they feel like for the most part, they're like pretty satisfied and capable of dealing with whatever comes up kind of on their own. I know some really high level like IFS trainers and people who've been in the field forever and you would think they'd be like, you know, ultimately healed and perfect people certainly obviously are still humans. And, you know, they talk about, you know, I was in therapy for lots of years and then I took years off and then I went back for another slate of, you know, some more work. And so sometimes people go through ebbs and flows of, um, of doing it. I really appreciate going to therapy every week. I don't know if that's going to like, I feel like I'm uncovering so much. Like it's a big onion that I'm uncovering. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like I need to be in therapy weekly. Yeah. yeah. The thing about therapy though, you know, and we talk about it being really hard is it is exhausting. I have, I don't know if, I, I know that somatic experiencing can be just as exhausting because um, I do remember being residential treatment. I'm like, I can't go to any of my ses- other sessions after. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't realize it, but they're like, oh, yeah, after you do your somatic experiencing session, you're not going to, you're, mm-hmm. you you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. And I feel that way with IFS after mm-hmm. I, I know, like, I give myself a little bit. I do have to parent right after. And that is, it's, it's really, really tough because yeah. it's like, it's like you are cleaning out a wound, like mm-hmm. with like really burning alcohol or, you know, something. <laughs> and it's just, you're just kind of really getting in there, making sure everything's all cleaned out. And then it's, you're just, you're sore, it feels like. That's right. Well, it's, you know, it's be similar to going to PT, right? Like right. you're going to physical therapy for some sort of injury and they're going to work it and they're going to, it might hurt a little bit, right? And you're going to go home and you're going to be fatigued and a little sore. And it's like, oh. I had PT today, you know, and it's the same with this. It's like an emotional PT um, of, and so I agree with you. And I think that, you know, for people who are able to do this kind of therapy, they're very blessed, I believe, to be able to be in this kind of very um, rigorous sort of way of healing, but, and it would be quite a privilege to be able to like after therapy, 
be able to take an extra hour off and rest. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah, everybody yeah. can't do that, but, mm-hmm. um, but you might, you know, for some people they might need to alter day, their day a little bit to be sure that after a session of this, that they have a little bit of space to kind of recover or just kind of take it easy or not have to rush to the next thing. Um, I've worked with certain clients who realized, you know, they're afraid to get into a session and start crying. And then immediately after have to go into work into a business meeting of like, I can't look like I was just crying. And so literally like, we'll, you know, modify the session for the day to be sure that that person feels like they can do their, their business afterwards. Wow. So, um, and you know, I've even had clients who move their sessions to a different time of the day in order to be able to have a little bit of space afterwards in order to feel like they can make that transition. So it's intense. I mean, it's beautiful work, but you're right. I mean, it's, it can be intense. Yeah, it is. It is really hard work. And, and I do think with the MDMA, it really, it, it becomes more effective. At least it has for mm-hmm. me. It's just been mm-hmm. much more effective sessions where I'm able to tap into what I need to tap into sooner without working mm-hmm. so hard. Mm-hmm. But once you get there, it's a lot of emotional heavy yeah. lifting. Yep. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll add to that, you know, early in my IFS therapy, I remember being like that. I felt like I cried every single session. And I remember asking my therapist, I was like, does anybody else cry this much? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm the biggest crier in the world. And I remember feeling very exhausted. And I will say, you know, over the time that I've been doing my IFS work for myself, it's shifted and um, I hardly ever cry anymore. I might have a moment of some big emotions come through, but it's very short. Um, and I don't know if I just needed a period of like letting a lot of tears out. And now I've kind of completed that. And so now it's shifted a little bit and I go into different space with my parts. Um, but I, I think I just want to say that for the sake of, it might not always feel that way. Um, right. I don't want to scare anybody. <laughs> right. And, and I will say not everybody feels the way you and I feel like certainly not all clients come in and cry the whole time. Like we do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I feel very, like everything's just fresh right now. My husband told me when I was, when I thought I had my first relapse, he was just like, you were dealing with this for 25 something years. You know, you're not right. going to be healed in 30 right. days. You know, it's not, that's not how it works. That's right takes, takes a little time. Yeah. Well, Heather, is there anything else that you would like to add? You know, I would just say overall, I think it's really important for people to just be really informed, very educated about this, you know, psychedelic medicines and, and doing therapy that way. If that's something people are interested in, I would just highly, highly encourage people to do a lot of reading. There's tons of free YouTube um, podcasts and shows and stuff like that out there that you can listen to, to really get an understanding for it. I think it's just really important to do your research before you, um, approach doing something like MDMA therapy or working with psilocybin or anything like that. Um, certainly I'm a huge advocate of being in therapy if you're going to use those substances. Um, and, and, and that's a big thing is like what's coming out and being proposed right now is psychedelic assisted therapy. It's not just psychedelics. And so people need to be really clear that this is a therapy and it's a way of um, processing trauma and getting to know yourself and being more connected. Um, And so it's not something to take lightly or flippantly or think that you're just going to do this one time and be all better. 
right? right. So, so I just really encourage people to take it very seriously. Um, and to be careful. I mean, it's not, it's not legal yet. You know, it's becoming decriminalized in a lot of places. Some things are legal like ketamine therapy, which mm-hmm. also is not a true psychedelic, but it has similar effects. Um, so, you know, there's different ways and places that people are using these types of medicines in these really productive ways that's legal, but for the most part, it's not. So, you know, you just have to be super careful. Um, and, you know, it's an amazing way to heal yourself, but it's also super powerful. And so you just have to have a huge amount of respect and, um, reverence for the sacredness of, of this healing space. So that's what I would want people to be aware of. Wow. Thank you so much. I really do that. I really appreciate the knowledge that you've brought um, in regards to psychedelic therapy. You're very knowledgeable and I'm, and I'm very appreciative that um, I kind of have you on my side as my IFS therapist. So yeah, thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Great. That was Heather Smith, internal family systems and psychedelic integration therapist. To learn more about her, please visit a tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. This is the final episode of my three-part series on my MDMA experience. This is also the final show of season two, and we will be back in August with more inspirational stories of thrivers and alternative mental health treatment. In the meantime... Keep an eye out for Authentic Insider Magazine. If you don't already subscribe to the magazine, I encourage you to do so at my website at tstpodcast.com and follow me on all my social media platforms. And those are at the top of my homepage to stay up to date for the latest. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and you've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care. 